Well, good morning, church. Yeah, students have been at Collide this weekend. Was it awesome? Was it good? Yeah. Are y'all awake? Yeah. I know it was a full and a fantastic uh, weekend, a little free time together. We had a house full of high school guys watching the Texans demolish. There are some people who are hurting today, so I apologize, but we're thankful because those two words have never been in the same sentence. Texans and demolish are not normal words, so we're thankful today because of it. Um, if you're a Bible, we're going to be back in Colossians again, Colossians 3. Um, and really, that last song that we sang is really going to be tied in well to what we're talking about because... Uh, our belief has to be rooted in something or better yet someone and and there's some thoughts that come in is that is there really nothing better than Jesus is that statement true in our life and our mind and their hearts and and the reality is I think our mind knows that our heart confesses that but what happens sometimes Sometimes we don't act in accordance with those things and we, we prove that we're not perfected yet. And, and so today, um, we're really looking at this idea of this word, obsession. And if you don't know what the word obsession means, it means an idea or thought that continually, on a regular basis, preoccupies or fills your mind. That's what it really looks like. And as we talk about being rooted in Christ uh, throughout the year, that's where this is going, that we want Christ to be our obsession session but what does that look like in our day in and day out and so um our our social media page and and christy helped us out a little bit this week and and put out there and asked some folks what are some things that you get obsessed with and and that kind of thing and and for me it really is finding a deal i don't know if any of you are like this but i'll research and research and research until i have the best deal that could ever be found ever anywhere possibly and then after i make a purchase do you know what i do i research and research i keep looking like i i'm thinking I, I want to make sure it's still the best deal, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's amazing how one little thing has gone through that. And, and right now in December, that was buying a car. Christy got in an accident, so we had to do that. And so for a month to where finally, guys, you won't even believe this. When I said, well, why don't we go test drive? She said, I don't want to think about another car. Let's just make a decision, right? Ladies, have you ever felt that way when your husband's obsessing over just make the call, Right. Um, it, it, it's just amazing what fills our mind. And, and so we had a lot of feedback on social media from folks. It was really fantastic to see. So I broke down just some of the obsessions that were shared with us into uh, four categories. I tried to keep the list short. First of all, one of the things that we tend to obsess about is family right? How is our family unit doing? How is my family doing in their health? How are my children doing? Are they where they need to be? Are they falling behind? I remember those conversations even as a young parent. Like Ashley started walking later than the boys who were the same months old as she was. Like they're walking and she's not. And you know what goes through your mind? Is this okay? Is everything all right? Well, then she started talking before the boys. And guess what? All the boys' moms were like, oh goodness, is my kid okay? Is it all right? You know, it's amazing how with our family, we tend to let that fill our mind about what's going on. How can I help? What, where is it is? How does that work? And so our family is one of those things that really can fill our mind. The second thing was, was just self. And self tied into future a little bit as well. But just people kind of obsessing. Am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? 
You know, I don't know about you, but, but I really walk around and I'll think, did I wave correctly to someone? Or, oh, I mean, I, I obsess over those things too with myself. I remember one time I was getting a haircut at some random place 15 years ago. And I, I started talking. I went to see this young lady and she cut my hair, did a good, good job, didn't, didn't know Jesus, have a relationship with him. So I thought, I'm just gonna come back to her for a few months and just, I mean, she cut my hair well. It's a good conversation. So one day after like my third haircut, she said, well, thanks for coming in. I said, no problem. And I went and did this. She goes, are you trying to hug me? I'm like, no, <laughs> only weird people do that. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I am not at church among people I know. I'm like, I am so, so sorry. And then all the way home, I'm letting that fill my mind. Did I do that right? Well, she come to know Jesus because I tried to hug her. I didn't mean to try to hug her, God. There's nothing in it. You know, it just, it's amazing how what's inside of us just starts to take over a lot of those things. Um, the third one was here was outcomes, right? We obsess over outcomes. And that really plays into a lot of things when it comes to finances and food and hobbies and that kind of thing. If food, no matter what we ate, always had a great outcome, y'all, I would be downing like Nolan Ryan hot dogs every day like no tomorrow. You know what I mean? We would do this. Weight Watchers, we talked about, it makes a living. I have a thing, someone showed me an app called Yucca, right? Where you scan things and it tells you how many bad things can kill you and what you're eating. It's amazing, I'm alive. You know what I mean? Like, we're just kind of walking through these things and it's, it's really interesting is our outcomes and our future, they're things that really, really pre preoccupy in a lot of ways. And, and I want you to know this, that I don't think we need to pretend that thoughts don't fill our mind and capture our mind. I, I think a lot of things pull into us. I was talking with a, 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 a gal who has a ministry and uh, is a nurse practitioner this week, and she was just talking about how um, the biggest fear that she is hearing from people that she interviews uh, about their struggles is not the struggle themselves. It's that someone might find out about their struggle. Like that's become the all-consuming fear uh, in generational counseling going on right now. And just how that works out. I, I think when we try to pretend that thoughts don't fill our mind, it's not helpful, it's not welcome. And honestly, it's not biblical. Our mind is supposed to be constantly preoccupied and filled. Like that's how God made us, right? Jesus says it like this. He'll say, consider the cost of your actions. Right? Consider the cost before you go to war. Consider the cost before you build a house that you might finish it. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. When he tells us not to be anxious. In the Old Testament, the psalmist tells us, consider the works of the Lord's hands. And Paul would say, take every thought captive, consider it. So, so I would tell you that God designed you and I to be obsessed, to be preoccupied constantly. And so the question is not, how do I stop having my mind filled? If you walked around with an empty mind, I don't even know how you would function, right? I mean, so instead of trying to deceive ourselves into thinking, anytime I think on something for more than a minute, something's wrong with me or it's evil, what if instead we held it to a biblical standard? Because I will tell you this, I wrote it down, family, self, outcomes, future, these are not bad things to think on. 
but why I think on them and how I think on them makes all the difference in the world. Why I think on them and how I think on them makes all the difference in the world because I believe God has called us towards a righteous obsession. That's what I think God has invited us into, to, to this right relationship with God that has something that's obsessing and driving us day in and day out. And that's what Colossians is all about. So if you have your Bible, Colossians 3, we'll read verse 1 through 4, and then we'll just tear it apart and see what Scripture says. The Bible says it this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So one statement at a time. How do we have a righteous obsession? If then you have been raised with Christ. I want you to know, you can't have a righteous obsession if you have not been raised in life with Christ Jesus. Every wonderful thing that is good and perfect outside of the lens and a relationship with Jesus Christ is simply an obsession. It's simply you and I trying to navigate this world. Paul talking to the church isn't questioning. What he's really saying is, since you have a relationship with Christ, since you have been raised with Christ, then you can have a righteous obsession. And in that little statement, if then you have been raised with Christ, is a confession. And the question this morning is, is that your confession? If then you have been raised, first says this, do you acknowledge the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? See, if you have not been raised with Christ, if, if he hasn't been raised, there's no one to be raised with. So, so having a righteous obsession, obsession begins with this question for you. Do you know, do you believe, is the confession of your life that Jesus Christ has been raised by the dead? Paul would say without that confession, there is no life. He would say without the reality of Jesus being raised from the dead, if Jesus didn't really rise from the tomb, if he didn't really die on the cross and someone took him down before he died and they nursed him back to health, if he didn't really die and was raised again, then our worship, our hope is in vain. It is a waste of time. That's what scripture says. So it begins with saying, if I'm going to have a righteous confession, uh, obsession, then the question becomes, do I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead because of who he is and who Jesus is? If then you have been raised with Christ. The second thing it confesses is there's a power in the resurrection. Now, now this is where you're, you're fix it fix yourself, improve yourself, religion will fall short of Christianity. If you ever want to know the difference between Christianity and something that uses the name of Jesus improperly to create a false belief, this is where you find it, right? Because it's not just that Jesus was raised, it's that in his resurrection, God proved a way and a power to raise you with him. What does that mean? 
It means that you don't have the power to be right with God. You don't have the power to bring life or death. The, the confession of our faith has to be that God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, proved that power of life was extended to us. Let me pose the question. If God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die and to be raised again, if only Jesus was raised, here's what it means. The world is without hope. At very best, other than having this idea that God was some kind of abusive father, if only Jesus is raised and he is not the first fruits, if he is not the first of many, then his life, death, and resurrection is to prove alone that you and I are worthy of judgment and you're condemned forever to be apart from him. And, and Jesus was just the proof that somebody could do it. That's not, that's not faith. That, that's not even scripture. See, so we have to believe that God chose by his goodness to bring power of the resurrection, not just for Christ, but for you and I with Christ. So Jesus was resurrected and God has the power and invited us to that resurrection. And finally, it confesses the place of that resurrection. See, through Jesus being raised from the dead in reality and God having the power to raise us with him, through him, it necessarily ties the bow on the place. See, God is not gonna do for you what he did for Jesus. I want you to hear that one more time. God is not going to do for you what he did for Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life, was righteous, and righteous before God took on our sin, and God raised him from the dead because he was never a sinner. It was God's plan. So if you think you're gonna live a perfect life and you're gonna follow in the footsteps of Jesus, but not walk in the shadow of Jesus, not be bathed in the blood of Jesus. And if you live a good enough life, that same power that raised him from the dead, God may choose to raise you from the dead too. Well, let me tell you something. God doesn't have multiple places for you to have salvation through. It doesn't exist. If you're asking, how do we know Christianity is right and true and real? Well, first, scripture tells us, but two, one God has a perfect plan and through his perfect son he invites us to be raised to life through the power of God through his perfect plan and he won't settle for any other imitations church do you believe that the place of the resurrection is with Jesus and Jesus Christ alone and there is no other name by which you will be saved including your own and this is the beginning of a righteous obsession because here's what I want you to hear intellectualism it won't bring your life creativity won't bring you life morality won't bring you life it is offered through the real resurrection of the son of God by the power of the God who created all things and it will be found in him alone and nothing else. One of my favorite books, we've talked about it many times, it's The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a new year, so it's time to read it again, 
right? There's one place where Christian comes upon a man with a muckrake and he's just raking up muck, worthlessness. And, and he's offered a crown, a celestial crown, a crown of life. But he won't pick up his head to even acknowledge the crown because he's so busy cleaning up the muck. Church, the confession of Jesus Christ is that even though it doesn't make sense, you are offered a crown of life for your muckrake. And that is how you are freed from the muck of your life. Is that your confession? Jesus, only Jesus. That's the first step towards a righteous obsession. Back in your Bible, the rest of verse 1, chapter 3 in Colossians says it like this. If then you've been raised with Christ, <clears throat> seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I, I love this, this reality, this picture. There's activity in it. If you have been raised with Christ, then seek Christ. Seek the things that are above, above with Christ, seated at the right hand of God. I was reading a book and uh, an author wrote this out about what we would seek. And I loved it. I will give him credit. His last name is Phillips. He said, those who say look within would be a psychologist. Those who say look around would be an opportunist. Those who say look ahead would be an optimist. And those who say look out would be a pessimist. pessimist. But the one who says look up is the Lord God Almighty. You see, I, I think a lot of times we love this idea of activity, and that's why obsession can be distracted by our activity. See, activity is part of living a life in Christ. So being righteously obsessed, therefore then, must be an obsession. It must be an activity. So if the first part of having a righteous obsession is confessing the reality of the resurrection, the power and the place of life in Christ Jesus. Then the second part means that we must actively seek. We must actively seek the things that are near the one who we're obsessed with. You see, there's an action to it. And, and what the world would say is stay active in your life. Let, let that occasion be found. If you're, if you're obsessed about finances, look to the world for financial solutions. Be obsessed with the stock market. Be, be overwhelmed by it. If, if family is your obsession, then always be on your family. Buy Apple tags for everybody and everything. Put in a backwards remote to their phone so you can peep in and say, hey, honey, anytime you want. If you're obsessed with politics, if you're obsessed with, with health, the world would say all of those things are worthy things for you to give your time and your obsession to. What the Lord would say is Jesus is worthy of your obsession. And so seek the things that are next to or near him. So what is the location of those things? When you're thinking about your finances, are you actively thinking, God, how can I honor you with the way I steward the finances of my life? How different of that is being worried about not having a certain number in your bank account? 
How different is it when you say, Father, Lord, I am so obsessed with Jesus that when I think of my family, I want it to be the thoughts that bring you glory, that belong in your presence next to you. So when our our children are struggling with their health, when our relationship is on the rocks, don't you think God wants thoughts of how he can heal that, how he can bring life to that to fill your mind? I think the answer is quite honestly, yes, because scripture's littered with these thoughts. But are the obsessions seated next to Jesus Christ so that you're thinking about glorifying him? as you seek care for your health, for your family, for your finances. We have an election coming up. Are you obsessed with politics? An unrighteous obsession says if Biden, Trump, or fill in the blank is is elected, our world's gonna fall apart, our country's gonna fall apart. So I must do everything I can, and therefore I become obsessed let me, let me give you a news flash. None of those people are in charge of holding this country together. I mean, Scripture's pretty clean on if my people seek my face, I'll be at work in their life. Even in Egypt, when I disciplined the Egyptians and tore their country apart, my people were cared for and protected. So it's not a bad thing to think about politics. But are the thoughts that you're having, are they appropriate for the presence of the one who is your obsession? In other words, are you seeking Jesus over the politics in our world or you're seeking to fix politics as a way to clean up all of your mud and present it to Jesus like a mud pie for him to be honored by? It's okay to think on these things, but do they belong in the presence of Jesus? Are you seeking him and he is addressing them in your heart and mind? Paul would tell you it's okay, it's good to think on things. He says it this way in Philippians, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see, it's, it's, it's good to think about righteous things, but it takes activity. Because I think if you and I don't actively seek Jesus as our obsession in our day-to-day life, as we lead our families, as we care for our children, as we're stewards of our finances, as we're good citizens of the country that we're in, all of these things, then what's amazing is the world will call you to actively seek it out here. Don't throw away priceless treasures for shiny trash. I mean, I have a great friend years ago he's a good dad he went to a carnival with his son and his son wanted an xbox <laughs> and he did one of those things to where if you throw enough rings on the bottles that you win the xbox and 330 dollars later 
he left with the Xbox. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> listen, I want y'all to hear this. There's nothing wrong with throwing coin rings over bottles. It's totally fine. It's totally good. If you enjoy throwing baseballs at, at bowling pins, enjoy it. It's okay. Use a dollar that way. If you've got it and that's your entertainment budget, use it. But don't get consumed by earthly trash that you stop obsessing over the stewardship of the things that God has given you. You follow me? I mean, we could go into a whole sermon on gambling right there, but we'll obsess about him instead. Think on these things. It is okay, church, to want to make your child smile and then walk around the rodeo with a giant bear for 30 minutes or three hours. That's okay. But why do you want to make them smile? Is it because you're obsessed with reflecting Jesus to them? Do you see the difference when you actively seek an obsession in this world apart from Jesus, then we miss the whole thing. Because we need to seek Jesus and the things where he is. And that automatically destroys our sinful obsessions. See, lust is a sinful obsession. But it's at the root of a healthy relationship that God's put on your heart to have with somebody. Lust never belongs next to the throne of Jesus. But a healthy relationship with your wife or future husband absolutely does. For a husband to delight in his wife and a wife to delight in her husband, absolutely. But don't let the world take a heavenly gaze and folks it down. So how do we find out, does it belong in the presence of the Lord Jesus? Um, I, I want you to know our staff got together and and when we put together our new, what we call a disciple's path, we started to say, how do we help our people be obsessed with Jesus in their life? And, and, and that idea of what does it look to be all consumed in Jesus? So I want to show you guys a picture that we put up here. And, and this is just something that you'll see more and more out here. And we made it into a question. And these are questions I would encourage you to ask yourself often and if you find yourself not living in this circle, well then, Lord, how do I become obsessed with you again? As a disciple, I must embrace God's truth, the gospel, and others. How does this embrace impact my relationship with God in community and how I serve the Lord? And then how does this impact compel me to empower others to serve the Lord, to invest in others, to grow as disciples, and to go and make disciples or to lead by example. See, when we looked at this, we just started to say, if we would let our minds and hearts be captivated with this idea that I cannot do anything unless I am embracing and obsessing about the Lord and delighting in him and joying in him, and that type of delight will call me to be mature, to want to impact the relationships around me and to have the Lord impact my relationship with him. And as I'm mature and as I'm growing, 
then God will call me to empower others and to be empowered because it's his mission for me. So as you're thinking about your obsessions, let me ask you a question. How is what you're thinking on reflecting your embrace of God? How are the things that you're thinking on reflecting the way you actively embrace God and pursue him? How are the things that you're thinking on impacting you relationally with God, his people, and his plans for you? Is it drawing you near to him? Is it edifying and esteeming you? Or is it pulling you down, making you feel unworthy, weary, and heavy laden? How is what you're thinking on driving you to empower others to walk closely with the Lord? Things of this world, this trying to trash things, they won't empower us to help others walk to the Lord, closely to the Lord. Why? Because we'll be too ashamed to help. So, so what are the things that you're thinking on? How do they fit? Do they belong around the throne room of the Lord? The final thing is, first we have to, to confess the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second, we have to actively pursue our obsession in Christ Jesus in every thought and every area of life. But finally, look at verse 2. The Bible says this, set your mind on things that are above and not on the earth. Now, now here's the thing. The world will tell us you can set it and forget it. You remember that infomercial? How many rotisserie chicken buyers did you buy, right? Set it and forget it. We already know that you have to actively pursue Christ. But that activity has to be anchored in something. You have to set your gaze on Jesus. The world will say, set your gaze on the position you want to hold in life and you don't stop till you get there. Set your gaze on that young lady or that young man that you want to spend life with and don't let anything change. Set your gaze on making your children turn out this way, your finances this way, and you set it and you go after it. They would never, the world would never tell you to set it and forget it because they want your mind set on you. And therefore, whatever pleases you in the moment, you should do it. But scripture says is don't do that. You have to set your mind on Christ, on the things that are above. You need to set it that way every morning and set it that way every night. I started to imagine, Lord, what would it be like to just set my mind on you all the time? I think all of a sudden things would start to phase out. When I was in high school, you know, I was really deep at 15. Um, we would lay outside at night, and I haven't done this in years, but I remember just trying to look at one star. Have you ever done this? This may prove I have bad eyes. Maybe you can do this. But the longer I looked at one star, all the other stars went black. Like I couldn't see them anymore. It was almost like they disappeared, and all I saw was this one. And every time I would shake my eyes, because it was hard to stare that long, they would all come back. Here's what I want you to know. When you and I set our gaze every moment, every day on Jesus Christ, all 
the obsessions of the world, they start to disappear. And I don't know why, and I don't know how, but I've seen a sage that's walked with Christ a long time, and they still love their family, they still care about their finances, they still invest in others, they still care about their future. But their obsession is Christ, and there's a peace through all of those things that is absent from worldly obsession. Isaiah would say, here's the reason why, in chapter 45. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are of the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are your thoughts. The quickest way to build a righteous obsession is to realize that the God whom has invited you into a relationship that you could never earn, that you could never get on your own, had this thought already. So what Isaiah says is forsake. That means abandon your shiny trash approach to the things that you think on. I am normal. And so I know what worry feels like. I'm a dad. I've seen kids who broke their wrist playing games at church, youth ministers. We've seen health problems and loss. We've counted days where our bank account was barely on the left side of the decimal. And I want you to know there have been many days where my obsession has been survival. But that is not what God has invited me to. It's not what he's invited you to. Because those obsessions are fueled and fueled by worry and fear. Or worse, by fame and self. And you were created for more. So do you believe in Jesus? Have you confessed him as your Lord and Savior? If so, then actively seek the things that are above next to him because you are invited in. Actively pursue him. And he will be faithful to show you the path in all of your obsessions. But don't forget to anchor yourself, to set your mind in him. And then there's a promise. Verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Here's the gift. Someone asked me about discipleship in family this week with about three minutes to answer. I said, I think the key to hiding God's word in your heart is eternity. Because if I believe that eternity is real, 
and the promises of God for me through Christ Jesus are sure, then I don't want the distractions of this world to overwhelm me because I know what waits for me. So if I want my children to remember scripture, then scripture must be set or anchored somewhere. And all of it is anchored in the throne room of God. And so that's why we memorize scripture. So our minds will be set with him. And here's what I believe. That for those whom he has saved, who he has extended the invitation, and they have taken it and received it as their own, then when Christ returns, you and I will be raised with him in glory. And that's the invitation today. Set your mind on that thought. Where we started, let's end. Do you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died, was resurrected, and by the power of God, he has invited you and me to a relationship with him through Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this day. Lord, we're, we're people that we, we get distracted, we obsess a lot. And God, I, I think the enemy who invites us to be obsessed with this shiny trash then stands on the side and accuses us for being failures because we're obsessed with shiny trash. But God, we know the accuser has no power over the redeemed. So Father God, we pray right now that you would remove the trash approach to the things that are filling our minds and that we would be set upon you and the things in your throne room. And then you, Father God, would give us a righteous obsession and you would see how every good and perfect gift comes from you. Every good and perfect answer, every good and perfect path, it's all rooted in you. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name.